Hello everyone and welcome to episode 295 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have the full crew here this week kicking things off with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How are you this fine Monday, Richard? Hey Seth, doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I'm excited. We have some good topics for today, but before we get into that, we have another co-host in Krim. How are you this morning, Krim? Morning, Seth. I'm excited. Standard has been enjoyable. Standard, speaking of it, that's one of our big topics for today. We're going to be talking new Zendikar Rising Standard. Uh, we've been playing it. We also have our first tournament results from a Hooglandia Open over the weekend, right on release weekend. So new Standard, that's going to be a big topic. Also wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Zendikar Rising on Arena. Both the launch had some issues, especially the first uh, day or two. And also I wanted to get your opinions on the cost of Zendikar Rising on Arena, with the set adding more mythics on a typical set, and uh, how that impacts people's ability to actually acquire the cards they need. So those are our main topics, and then, of course, answering your fish mail. But before we get into that, a reminder that today's show is brought to you by Card Conduit. And if you've ever tried to buy list your magic cards, you know it is not easy. It takes a lot of time to sort them and type them into buy lists and package them and ship them. Well, Card Conduit, they're the easiest way to sell your magic cards. And if you're looking to avoid all those hassles and all that time, this new service from the folks over at Card Hoarder will sort, grade, and sell your magic cards. And once your shipment is processed, you'll get the proceeds minus their fee. And right now, you can get a 10% discount by going to cardconduit.com slash goldfish. So thank you so much to Card Conduit for supporting the show today. And let's talk some magic. Let's start off with new standards. So uh, we got the Hooglandia open over the weekend, and then also want to talk about what we've been playing. But Richard, uh, what happened at the Hooglandia open? What's the new standard look like? All right. So our savior, Jeff Hoogland, had a tournament. The metagame page was blank for like two days because we had no deck list. For some reason, you know, Star City Games decided, hey, I don't want like free publicity, you know, creating an online tournament on the release of Zendikar Rising. Wizards decides not to promote their game. So once again, we have to rely on Jeff Hoogland. Uh, 72 deck lists. <laughs> 72 deck lists. So a, a fairly good representation. And people were playing... So there were 15%, 15% of the meta, so 11 decks, four color Omnath, uh, or four color Uro, if you want to use an old name. Uh, Demir Rogues. What was that? At 13% Sorry, what was that? Of the meta. <laughs> Demir Rogues in a non-meme deck form. You for, know, it's like actually people played it seriously. For the people in the back, one more time. What was that? I, I like Demir what again? Uh, okay, no, wait, wait, wait. Should we, should we count the, the X2 <laughs> deck list though? Because I don't think Demir Rogues shows up anywhere in them. <laughs> I was going to say, don't get too excited, Krim. A oh, lot yeah. of people played it, and a lot of people lost with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so you might need to prepare for the deck if you're playing, but maybe it'll just lose to itself. Uh, Saltide Midrange, Gruel Aggro, Simic Ramp, Teamer Adventures. Um, kind of the usual suspects there. Boros Aggro, Mono Green Aggro, Orzov Life Gain. Uh, so that's a smattering of what we've seen, but predominantly... Uh, I, I would say it was Four Color Omnath and uh, Gruel Aggro were kind of the top decks at the at the top of the standings. Yeah, I think Gruel Aggro in specific uh, 
I think that has to be considered the deck of the tournament, considering there are only five people on the deck in the tournament. And if you look at the results, uh, Grulegro won the tournament and also had three other players that were in the like top 10-ish range. So it seems like pretty much everyone who played Gruul Aggro just absolutely killed the tournament. While Four Color Omnath, it did have a couple of players in the top four, but also had like more mixed results with not everyone on Four Color Omnath absolutely crushing it. So I think that was, to me, the biggest surprise, just how good Gruul Aggro performed. And apparently, maybe that's a way you can get in under the ramp decks, which have been the talk of standard since Endicar Rising came out is definitely the Omnath deck has been the one that I've seen most discussion of, most angst about, I guess, with people already wondering if, like, Lotus Cobra needs to be banned. Of course, Uro, people have already talked about that needing to be banned for a while. But I think that was maybe the most shocking thing to me is uh, that Gruul Agro had a really stellar performance at the Hooglandy Open. Shocking. <laughs> Questing yeah. Beast and Embercleave are good in standard. <laughs> Seth! <laughs> Come on! <laughs> Although it, it looks very different than the Gruul Agro we're used to, they're more landfall-focused decks as opposed to our old Gruul Agro, which was more hasty, trample, spellbreaker type things. This is like landfall and then die to Embercleave, which, you know... We've seen enough of in standard, but you know that's how you kill. That's how you kill before Ugin comes down, right? Ember cleave him to death. I, I've I've been I, I've liked the Gruel Aggro lists uh, because it also plays like Shatter Skull Charger, uh, which is getting when you think about like the popular spot removal, it is all sorcery speed, right? Like we're talking about like Blood Chief's Thirst or whatever. So the Gruel Aggro decks are. Definitely interesting that like they are playing like um Nahiri's lithoformings and, and roiling uh regrowth and whatnot, which by the way, I have been really excited about because they uh I, I've been playing uh main deck four copies of Confounding Conundrum. So just just like I've been just like hilariously laughing my way to the bank, uh watching these decks like the la- landfall decks bouncing like playing like two lands in one turn and then returning all almost all their lands back to their hand. I I think with the way this format has has uh kind of shaped up to be, it's just a format where you play four copies of Confounding Conundrum in the main. So I got to ask you about that Grim cuz I'm actually super curious. Uh is Confounding Conundrum uh, good enough to stop the Omnath decks? Because, so my concern with the card is, yeah, you can slow down their development, but what happens if they have a Lotus Cobra or two out? Like, does picking up their lands even matter, or do they still just combo kill you? Uh, well, the thing is, it, it does matter because they can't, like, first off, when you're when you're playing, it depends on the deck you're playing, right? Like, if you can't just jam Confounding Conundrum and, like, not interact with them. <laughs> uh, so, like, you do you do want to play Confounding Conundrum and either, A, have, like, a clock to back it up with, uh, like, like rogues or whatnot, or, uh, like, like what I do in my decks, uh, my the deck that just got me straight from Plat to Mythic, I just play, like, Control. Like, good old, like, that's right. We're talking about counter spells. Like Essence Scatter is amazing right now. Essence Scatter is, I think, at an at, at probably its highest point in a, in quite some time, actually. Uh, and and like yeah, like they have a Cobra. Sure, it 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 is 
it is a little scary. They can go pretty wild with it. But when you're sitting there behind the conundrum and counter spells, it's very hard for them to go off. They have to actually think about whether or not they're going to play their stuff, right? And, uh, and, and it, it, it's quite it's quite the pickle that you put them in. Because Uro is just a three-mana dr like draw a card and gain life, which is still very good. But when you're main decking things like, you know, uh, um, Cling to Dust... And, and, and like uh, Soul Guide Lanterns, you can immediately just pick off the Earl in the yard. Um, and, and so like I, I've been enjoying the confounding conundrums backed behind the counter spells or a clock. So and, and, and I also go a little more out of my way to make sure that, it, I, that I'm always forcing them to uh, like to put a second land into play or something like that, which sounds weird because you don't want a ramp deck to do that. But by playing Field of the Dead and leaving up open mana, they now have to actually, like, be mindful of, like, well, if they play a land this turn, there's a strong chance, and if they have a non-basic, you're gonna blow up their land. So you're playing, like, uh, like land destruction control almost. Yeah, like, demir, <laughs> demir land destruction, if you would. Like, I, I, I want to find ways to just, in demir, to just keep playing the Field of Ruin again and again, but it's, it's great. It, it, it's been such a fun deck to play, too. That's interesting because uh, you know, <laughs> we oh, saw we saw like no control decks at the Hooglandia Open. Like I think maybe there's like a couple that didn't post good records, but it seems yeah. like that's been uh, that's been something that was essentially missing from the Hooglandia Open. So maybe players like in the first weeks we've talked about it for a long time. You tend to have people being really aggressive, trying to yes. take advantage of people who are you know, maybe having untuned brews, maybe their mana base isn't quite right so getting in there with Mono Red, getting in there with Gruul makes a lot of sense on week one, so maybe, based on your experience, Graham, maybe we'll see a shift more towards control decks, maybe being some sort of answer to the four-color Obneth deck. I think that is a deck that concerns me, uh, as far as maybe being too good, although based on the records from this Hooglandy Open and your experience, maybe it's just early and it'll be okay. I think my big concern goes back to, to Uro still. Like, oh, yeah. we've known Uro has been the best card in Standard for a long time. Arguably a card that could have been banned back when they did the Growth Spiral banning. Like, there, that was a conversation that people were having. It wouldn't have been really a surprise. And it still seems very good. Just looking at the, the metagame summary, Four Color Omnath, that's an Uro deck. That was the most played deck. Sultai Midrange, that's an Uro deck. That was the uh, third most played deck. Simic Ramp, that's another Uro deck. So we're still seeing a ridiculous amount of Uro going on in the format. So that that's still a concern for me. I think maybe Lotus Cobra, it does scare me. But I still feel like it's a it's a two one. It's a it's a two drop two one. You should be able to deal with that, right? Like Earl, the problem is it keeps coming back and it generates value. Even if you answer it, you're kind of losing the battle a lot of times. It seems like you should be able to just kill or counter the Lotus Cobra. And kind of the same thing with Omnath. Like if you're playing more Grasp of Darknesses and more Essence Scatters, maybe those cards will be okay once the metagame adjusts. Yeah, like, I, I I, think the, you could even, like, surprise them, you know, Shark Typhoon's still a thing, right? Like, they, it, now I think people are, like, getting smarter about attacking with Lotus Cobra into, like, open blue mana against, like, control decks and whatnot, but I, I, I do think you are right, though, right? Like, I mean, this is a little bit like the Skull Clamp situation, I think, um... You, you, you see how, like, right now, I, I'm main decking four Confounding Conundrums, uh, two Cling to Dust and two Soul Guide Lanterns, or, or some mixture where it's, like, maybe maybe even I'll go up to, like, five, like, three, do a 3-2 split between Cling to Dust and Soul Guide Lantern, and I'm main decking 
like the, like this stuff, the silly graveyard hate. And and sometimes you can potentially still lose, right? Like just because an Uro resolved uh, and, and, and got underneath or got, you didn't see your hate. So I do, I do think that through all that graveyard hate, um, like these decks are still like able to potentially win through with an Uro. So I think Uro is definitely too powerful and still needs a banning. Um, like, but at the same time, uh, it, it, if you kind of, it, it warps the format. I think it's beatable, but it entirely warps the format. So it's not healthy for that. Yeah, I, I guess yeah. that's the question. Like, Hogak, people argued, like, oh, you just main deck your ley lines. Like, if we're getting in that position in standard where, oh, sure, you can be Uro, but you have to play eight main deck hate cards, that's still, like, a sign that things are not necessarily maybe in the healthiest spot. Like, sure, you can beat anything. Like, if you play 20 graveyard hate spells, you're always going to beat the Hogak deck, theoretically. But is that where you want a format to be at? But sorry, Richard, I think I, I cut you off there. What do you think about all this? Yes. Stole my Hogak. Griff <laughs> was playing like eight main deck hate cards. He's like, it's fine, guys. I'm totally. So, A, it's awkward that um, he's playing like these two mana cards that just basically cycle in every other matchup and like crushing it. It just means the other decks are not strong enough or not tuned enough. But yeah, you know, if you just main deck like four ley lines and four Rally Progenitives, the Hogak is fine, guys. But I don't know if that's where we want to be. But I'm going to say. I think people are traumatized by ramp, and no matter what happens, if they lose to ramp, they're going to point and say, like, hey, Earl's been broken. I knew it. Even if Earl has, like, a 40% win rate in standard right now because of the past, you know, six months or whatever of Earl traumatizing everyone. (laughs) Two years. For ramp. So so I, I think a bit of it is kind of this, like the history of Earl. So every time you lose to ramp now, you're like, I, I knew it. I knew it. This deck is broken. Why play magic? Throw your cards out. So it's too early. But I, Lotus yeah. Cobra can be killed, right? Like Lotus Cobra can be killed. Like if you can't deal with a 2-1, like I don't know what's wrong with your deck, right? Like you should be able to deal the 2-1, right? So Lotus Cobra can't be the problem. But having said that, maybe ramp is strong. Who knows? It's too early. Uh, like set, like once Krim publishes his article on his control deck, everyone will play control, and then everyone will go back to Embercleave, <laughs> Krim will cry, have to adjust his main deck, and then Ramp comes back, Carnage Tyrant gets resurrected from Ixalan, who knows? Right? I, so the metagame, we've had one Hooglandia tournament, a bit early to call. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll just let it shake out a little bit, right? I, I, I know people have said the card is unplayable, but that new Bayloth, the, the, the six or seven mana one that's uncounterable haste, <laughs> There's I, no way you lose to that. No, 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 no. Like the thing here is like, how, how does how does my deck beat that? I'm all counter spells and spot removal, right? So like, but like you see, they got they got me game one with it. But you see, because and, and, and immediately I already I already felt the early vibes of Carnage Tyrant kicking in, right? And oh. but then I came prepared. I've been playing Soul Shatters out of the sideboard. <laughs> and then, and let me tell you this. That's how paranoid I am. I'm like, I just don't want to get paired against somebody that thinks they're funny, you know, with, 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 this, with this card and, like, catches me out of nowhere. And <laughs> the second game, I was like, I came ready. You thought you were safe. <laughs> Look at I'm, this. I'm going to start a, a Discord room where all we do is just stream snipes. Crim, and play, uh, <laughs> random piles of green, <laughs> uncounterable... <laughs> Pro blue cards like every format. He's like, yeah. I'll play historic. I'm like, oh, get him, guys. <laughs> get him again. Like, legitimately, I've just been playing Soul Shatter because of that card. People are like, why do you have Soul Shatter in your sideboard? I'm like, ah, you see, I came ready to play. Also, at like, I, I, I think that it's not just my deck. Other people have also been like, 
uh, getting some solid success with blue black control. So uh, you know, like like th there's a lot of spot removal. There's still sweepers and there's a ton of it's it's. If you're wondering, well, Krim, how does your deck have so much room for everything? Well, something's gotta go, so uh, wind conditions kind of get trimmed a little bit here. <laughs> MDFC cards. Yeah. Are you writing MDFC cards? Oh yes, oh yes. And I like even even something like um, uh, Seagate Restoration, which is like it was actually that situation where I top decked it and I casted it for seven mana to draw a card. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It felt good because <laughs> I had something to do instead of a land. So like I I'm really loving these du like modal double face cards. It's it's always giving me something to do on every turn. Between uh Salumdi's Visions, uh uh Hagra Mauling and, and Seagate Restoration. Uh just just all of that, like always having something to do is great. And Seth's favorite card feed the swarm. Uh <laughs> like which which its floor is just easy right because like i get to just take two damage get rid of a cobra or or something along those lines oh, but i've been able Nefalia to follow your drown yard flashbacks so, so what the follow your drown yard flashbacks <laughs> where there's there's like just no hand that you can draw where i can win right it's like you have lands and removal like that's it that's like literally <laughs> your whole deck there's no win cons to accidentally draw too early there's no expensive cards to like yeah you know get mana screwed on you're just like um <laughs> i hope you literally have seven lands in hand and did not mulligan <laughs> yep yep and 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 in this case you probably do have seven lands in hand except half of them are spell lands <laughs> correct I, I, it's, it's made me really enjoy the games of magic again. Like I can actually like play standard, um, cause I've been out of standard pretty much for like whatever the last year I've just been like, please give me anything else to play. Like I, I almost wanted to play more limited, you know, like, and not saying that like, you know, like limited is a bad thing, but I, I just never play limited. I'm a constructed player all the time, like all the way through. So I don't know. These double, like these double sided cards are big and, and by the way, Ashiok's Erasure, nobody's ready for it. Nobody's <laughs> ready for it. You get a nice little uh, emergent ultimatum or whatever the uh, Genesis ultimatum or an Ugin underneath that, and you extend the hand to the, the ramp player. <laughs> You're like, yes, you can you can cast uh, Escape to the Wilds 50 times, but you know what? I know what you're trying to get to, so you don't get to do that. Uh, that is that is interesting. Uh, interesting tech. Maybe that's a card that could uh, be on the rise. It does seem good against the ramp decks if you can hit the right thing. Like yeah. shutting down Gem Genesis Ultimatum or Ugin, that is going to make it a lot harder for those decks to actually be able to win. Like then, sure they can, like draw a bunch of cards and like spin mm -hmm. their wheels, but assuming you can deal with like Uro, uh, they don't yeah. really have a ton of other options. So I do like that idea. I do think Richard, you hit on something good a couple minutes ago, or something that I would agree with, which. I think people are just a little burnt out on ramp after the past year. So I feel like a lot of this talk about Lotus Cobras in Omnas, uh, probably excluding Euros because that's been going on for a while, but I think a lot of that comes from a place where people are just like hoping that a ramp deck wouldn't be good again because we had to deal with it for uh, just being the best deck in the format for so long last year depending on uh, what you consider like fires of invention decks wilderness rec decks but it felt like ramp was just consistently at the top of the format through the past year so i think i know i personally was hoping that ramp was going to be like you know tier three or something and not even be a legit deck just so the format would be shaken up a little bit so i expect that arena is getting a lot of like frowny faces on mill matchups <laughs> even if they're not necessarily deserved just because people
people are like tired of the mill as an archetype or not mill uh, a ramp as an archetype altogether <laughs> i was gonna say what timeline I mean, are you in where people are like that darn mill deck <laughs> I, i'm sure we can go back like two years on the podcast where we're like ah oh, I, I wish wizards printed ramp cards ramp sucks and we haven't had ramp in stand remember we're like oh there's no combo in standard standard is so boring it's just mid-range fest and they print accidental combos like people complain no matter what right like Right now, Krim is pining for rogues, okay? Now imagine if rogues, like, dominated the meta. In, like, six months, we'll all be like, oh my god, rogues again. These stupid creatures that mill when they hit. Like, what is this? This is dumb. Mill decks are stupid. We need, like, mill graveyard hate thing now. Like, oh. So people complain about the top deck now, right? Like, I think that's just how it is. So be careful what you wish for. Like, what do you want? Control deck, Seth? I'll check back in six <laughs> yes. months when Krim is dominating the Mythic Invitational it, when, where each match takes like three hours. <laughs> when, when I, I personally it, it believe that in a format where, obviously I would believe this, but like uh, Control is a playable deck, then that means there's fair magic to be had, right? Like, I mean, we're, we're like, I... I I, I like that. That's 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 an okay format. And I, I mean, I'm not saying that this format's exactly healthy either, because Uro. I th- if we took Uro out of this format, I think it would actually be a blast. Um, like if you just literally take Uro out, every everything will be fine. Because I mean, like what you're seeing cards like Scoot Mob or or whatever. What, what's that? That uh, what, Scoot Swarm. Scoot Swarm. Yeah, yeah, yeah that thing. That thing, like. I mean, outside of crashing arena by playing that card, like <laughs> I do think seeing cards like that get played are. I mean, I mean, I guess it's fun now. Maybe, maybe I won't be happy that there's like forty two one ones like like it next week. But like Omnath, though a power, a very powerful card. Which, by the way, good call on that, Seth. They it turns out people did figure <laughs> out a way to get the uh, four color the the four color issue solved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that uh, it has proven to be good so far. We'll see if it holds up uh, as the meta goes forward. But so far, yeah. it has been probably the best card from Zendikar Rising, I'd say. I, I, I would say, though, like, this format does have a lot of decision trees. Believe it or not, like, between the, the modal cards, like, they've actually added another, like, layer of depth to gameplay. Like, the amount of games where I'm like, okay, do I just play this as a land? I, I will purposely just miss a land drop because I'd rather keep this to find a spell. Right, so like I, I or or keep it as the spell side. So I, I I'm actually still in the earlier stages of trying to figure out you know like how many double sided cards. I mean, what, what what's your experience been with the double sided cards so far, Seth? So my experience has been that they so <laughs> okay. So my experience has been in general they've been very strong. I did try like this meme no land control deck and I think you can definitely take it too far. Uh, if you play just all these tap lands it does slow you down uh, too much so there is a cost but I have found them to be very very strong and I think that because they're so unique and a lot of what you were mentioning like adding this new decision do you play it as a land do you hold on to it how many do you play in your deck we've seen like mixtures of some people kind of just like adding them on top of more or less a normal mana base we've seen other decks where people are cutting down to like 15 normal lands and filling out the rest of the deck with all of the uh, MDFC lands so I think that uh, they're so new that people haven't really figured out how to play them optimally yet. Uh, they're obviously very powerful. They, I think, have met my expectations in terms of power level. I'm still a little concerned about just uh, the variance reduction aspect. I mentioned this, I had a conversation uh, about it on Twitter yesterday. In isolation, 
I like the MDFC lands, but I'm a little worried that we have, like, MDFC lands on top of Companions, on top of London Mulligans, and it seems like every set or every few months we have another, like, rules change or mechanic that is designed to kind of, like, strip more variants from the game, and I am a little concerned about uh, the pathway we seem to be heading down, because... Uh, I don't know. I feel like if you just keep going that way, Magic's going to keep losing replayability and become less fun. You're just going to see the same cards in the same decks doing the same thing every time. So I do have a concern about that, but so far, uh, I think they've been really interesting to play with, and I think they are, like home runs for Limited. I love them for Limited. I think it makes Limited so much more interesting, so much more fun. Constructed, they're really powerful, but I still have some long-term concerns about whether or not they're actually, like, healthy for the game or not. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, I like, this, that, that totally makes sense, right? I mean, like, why you'd be concerned about that, right? I mean, like, some people don't, like, like, it's a little bit of, like, they're kind of, like, just auto-includes, too, right? Like, I mean, you, why not play them in every deck, right? Like, some people are saying, like, example, uh, Agadim's Awakening, like that's the the black mythic double face whatever land card, right? Even if I don't play creatures, except for maybe like two Lockmere Serpents, that I should still play those cards. Like, is it is it correct to just always have? the the double faced cards. Oh, it's it's close. I think so there are there are costs. So here's an example I had recently. I was building a mill for historic. So I'm building historic mill and both Agadim's Awakening and Seagate Restoration seemed like obvious inclusions for the deck because uh, on the free roll opportunity cost argument. But then I realized I really need a Mystic Sanctuary. Mystic Sanctuary is like super key to the deck working. <laughs> so I ended up actually cutting all of the double face cards just because I needed my island count high enough. So I think there are situations where in specific decks that care about specific things, it's correct not to play them. But outside of those cases, I think especially for the mythic ones, I'm kind of still on the, you should play them every time in your land slot. I think maybe if your only creature is Lockmere Serpent, would I play Agadeeb's Awakening? I might not go quite that far, but if you have, like, you know, a handful of creatures, even if you're not a creature-heavy deck, then I would definitely be on board with playing it, uh, even though it might not come up very often. I think the cost is just low enough that you should probably be taking advantage of them if you could, especially the Mythics that can come into play untapped. Yeah, like so, the, play your broken lands unless they're ousted by other broken lands. <laughs> basic, basically, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I gotta ask you, Grip, before we uh, before we shift off a of standard. What do you think about rogues? So I know rogues has been like your pet deck. Have you gotten to play them at all? And uh, more specifically, I've played a little bit of the the Omneth Uro deck just because I wanted to see if it was as busted as it looked when people were playing it against me. And I gotta say, I played against rogues quite a bit. People love rogues, apparently. And yeah. I felt like uh, my rogue opponents milling over my Uros was very close to making the deck unplayable. Like, they, it seemed like they would do all these <laughs> cool things, and they would, like, get their clock, and they start milling me, and then they hit a Uro, and I escape the Uro, and then they just lose. Like, what do you think, where are rogues at? Do they still have potential, or is Uro just, like, too problematic for the the mill rogue archetype? Um, I, so, I I think that, it, yeah, like, pretty much Uro, though, like, kind of, like, completely dunks on the whole deck and whatnot, like, and, like, kind of the whole format, really, um, but I, I, I think you can, like, I was playing a rogue deck that kind of cut down on some creatures, 
right? And uh, it, it went a lot heavier on the interaction. Like, cling to dust might be one of the best things you can have right now. It's either life gain or a card draw spell, right? Or, and, and like, it, cling to dust is something I may play four of in the main deck if you're playing a rogue deck. Um, and, and, I, and I definitely would play Confounding Conundrum. Um, I, I, I'm playing eight cards, no matter what deck I'm playing, that respect Uro. So yes, Uro is a miserable card for the format, format warping, one would even say, because you know, turns out just having eight cards in your main deck to respect one card uh, is is a sign of a, a probably too powerful of a card. <laughs> um, I would say disgustingly broken, uh, you know, like something like that. But yeah, like the Uro does hurt the archetype quite a bit um, if you don't respect it. So you'll have to go lower on the creature count, which is kind of what led me down the path of eventually going, well, what if I just go pure control? So, yeah. I I will say, I think my experience has been similar to yours. The rogue decks that I have seen be most successful are ones that are playing way fewer creatures, dropping all that, like, Merfolk Wind Robber is not a good card. I I mean, you gotta, like, I don't know why people are playing cards like that, but dropping, like, the weaker, pretty janky rogues and playing more counter spells and more removal spells and playing, like, the good rogues. Maybe you got the Thieves Guild Enforcer, you got uh, Soaring Thought Thief, maybe even, like, a Flash Package I've seen some decks focus on and kind of be, like, rogue-ish tempo control slash flash. Some of those builds I've seen look really, really good. I even got... (laughs) I even got wrecked the other day. It was actually, like, kind of hilarious. Uh, opponent played, oh, what did they, oh, they played the discard rogue. They played the, the, wow, I can't even remember the name of it. The one with the party? The party discard rogue. I had a, I had a Ugin in my hand. I was like, oh, I'm like, it's turn two. I'm never going to cast this Ugin. So I discarded Ugin. And then, like, a turn later, they ninjutsu in (laughs) Sarasan and steal the Ugin. And I just, I just scooped on the spot. So it can do some pretty cool things when it goes off. But I very much agree. You want to go with a heavier interaction plan and cut some of the, least impactful rogues from the deck because I haven't seen the like straight up like 30 rogue creature try to get in like a merfolk deck or like some sort of aggro tribal deck I have not seen that plan be successful at all really yeah like it, so if- I, I have a rogue newsflash for you guys standard challenge results just posted from wizards 32 decks Ooh. zero rogues uh. 50% omnath <laughs> okay that sounds <laughs> that sounds about right yeah as expected yeah 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 50% omnath 15% mono red 13% uh saltai 13% teamer adventures uh yeah I, that I, sounds about right adventures makes sense right when you think about like oh. how like you know that's that's the deck that lost like nothing pretty much to rotation except for mana oh i thought you said 15 percent omnath you said 50 five zero. Oh, that's a F- five zero that's a five zero that's that's less <laughs> less exciting actually that's a that's a lot <laughs> i thought that still sounds about right <laughs> that still yeah exactly that sounds about right like <laughs> like like I, I mean it is like the most obvious kind of deck right yeah like, yeah. Outside of Mono Red, you're like, Earl's pretty good. Let me just uh, jam this together, and then here we go. So still, I'm hopeful the metagame will adjust. Uh, it's still pretty early. Yeah. Um, 
65% Uro Confounding is, conundrum. Come whew, on, man. Whew, six, <laughs> 65% Uro is, uh, is pretty intense. Like, that's... Obviously, it's week one. Don't read too much into the numbers. Things can change. But hopefully that number drops because uh, if that continues and we're getting those percentages, like when we get to the next big tournament. I can't remember. They change the tournament names every month now. So I don't remember what the next big tournament is, but there's one coming in October. Uh, that would be like, if that percentage maintained itself, that would roughly be Oko levels. Like uh, essentially that's like where we're at 65, 70% was Oko from last year. So hopefully uh, the Krim control deck <laughs> will solve all of our problems. <laughs> Confounding conundrum, counter spells, save us Krim, save us Krim. I, uh, control. Yeah. This is controls. Zendikar's standard rests on you. <laughs> <laughs> Man, what a world where people are like, Oh, I hope the control deck takes over. <laughs> that's never what uh, you hear. All right, so let's uh, let's hit up a couple other standard adjacent topics with uh, one of the things I want to ask you all about. So we had official release of Zendikar Rising last Thursday on Arena, and it didn't go particularly well. Uh, especially the first few hours were really bad. So the client like came back up, quote unquote, at like one Eastern time, and. It wasn't really playable for anyone through the afternoon. I tried to stream it at night. It still, you could sometimes kind of get into a game, but it wouldn't always work. So I had to switch to Magic Online. Uh, and then it took up to like a, a full day, I think, uh, maybe a little bit longer for some people for everyone to kind of be back up and running. And we still have some like long load times, uh, searching for assets and so forth. Uh, what did you think about the launch of? Zendikar Rising on Arena, and the big question I had for you is, is this normal? So I don't play a lot of other, you know, computer games. Is it just expected when there's a new patch in a game that it's going to be like this, or do other games launch their patches and their new sets without having these hassles? I I expect, like, at least when it comes to Arena, when a new set hits Arena, I expect launch day to just be constant disconnects um and whatnot and like there are some other games that kind of have that issue if they're like a small indie company but like arena does like wizards yeah small indie company like wizards uh (laughs) but i i do find that arena does have like that issue consistently when a new set comes out right yeah it's only been last couple of sets and most games don't have this nowadays, right? And when they do have this, it's much more graceful. Like there's a login queue or something, right? We're like, hey, we're slammed. You can log in, but you're like number 500 in line. And then when you get in, it actually works. Very rarely do games actually just like crap out and like you don't know what's going on. There's no like announcement from Wizards or anything. And you get to like varying stages of playing. You're like, oh, I made it into a match, black screen, right? Made it to a match, won the game, black screen. What happened? Who knows, right? Bought a pack, what happened? Who knows, right? So that's very rare and it's not excusable anymore. Like this was something people figured out like 10, 15 years ago. Like, look, when you have a release, everyone's gonna come and try to play your game. And when they get a black screen, they're gonna uninstall and never come back, right? They're gonna go play Hearthstone, right? So I don't know why this is a thing and we were joking earlier but like even outside of release it takes me like 10-15 minutes to start arena every time right it has to download like 5-10 gigs of whatever it has to validate assets it has to do something every single time I open it and like why right like I'm downloading like literally a new set 
Like, how many images are there? <laughs> like, why can't it be? Why can't it be loaded like in the background, like other games, right? Where you can get in, you can start playing, and then if it hasn't loaded yet, it will load as you need it, right? Because chances are you don't have a deck with all of Zendikar Rising on the battlefield on turn one, right? So there's a lot left to be desired from Wizards Digital, um, and it's just a bad look for the game. Like, oh, it's release day. Let's stream. Can't stream. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Let's find out, right? Like, it's just like, you can't tell anything, right? It's just so variable. Yeah, I I was pretty disappointed, honestly. Like, I, I get that making games are hard, but from what you're saying and from what, like, Stream said when I was asking them that it's not really the norm that this happens for most games. Like, that's normally launches go much more smoothly than that, and it seems to have been a continual problem with launching new sets on Arena, and I think, like, this one especially disappointed me, because you just had a really sweet spoiler season. You have everyone, like, making new decks. It's rotation. If you are ever going to get new players jumping on to try Arena, like, people that just download the client, want to check it out for the first time, like, this is the window. It's rotation. Every Everything's fresh and new. We had a big, like, hype spoiler season with tons of content. And for those people to, like, not be able to get in and play the game, it's such a bad look for the game. Like, I imagine some of the... If I wasn't a super enfranchised Magic player who already loves the game, and I was a new player, and I fired up Arena to check out this, like, new-to-me game on Thursday afternoon, honestly, once I started getting black screens and all that... I probably would have closed it and, I don't know, downloaded Hearthstone or Terra or any of the <laughs> competitors and probably not give Arena a second chance. Like, that's the... They really got to fix this. They really got to fix it. It's just... It's a really bad look. It comes on the heels of what we were talking about last week with the tournament coverage that didn't go particularly smoothly. And I feel like we're getting back to the <laughs> the point where Wizards, like, they're good at making magic cards, usually, but uh, the stuff outside <laughs> of making magic cards, they just really struggle with. And it's been an issue for a long time, and it's sad to see a lot of the issues that at points in the past have plagued magic online cropping up on Arena and arguably being even more disruptive on Arena. It's like release day and you have your most popular streamers either like sitting there on their streams with black screens and struggling to get into matches for hours on ends or just turning off Arena and going to play Magic Online like Kenji and be like, I don't know, at least Magic Online works. I know this isn't what people want to watch because it looks like a spreadsheet, but <laughs> we don't really have a choice. So hopefully Wizards can uh, can get this cleaned up in the future because oh, it was uh, it was a rough launch. And it doesn't give me a ton of faith in mobile coming this year, quote unquote, which this year is what, like three months away? Like if you can't launch <laughs> Zendikar Rising on on PC, are you actually going to be able to port it over to, uh, you know, mobile and have it function? I, I mean, I, I'm ready I, for my phone to become yeah, like a, a toaster, <laughs> supercharged, like... 500 degree brick. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't wait. What happened? Did you bring yourself cooking? No. <laughs> so one, all right. One other, one other topic I wanted to get your guys uh, feedback on related to Zendikar Rising and then we'll answer some fish mail. So one thing I realized today, I've been trying to get all my decks together for streaming, for making videos. And I feel like I just have to keep buying more and more packs of Zendikar Rising. And then it struck me, Zendikar Rising, thanks to the MDFCs, they actually have 20 Mythics instead of 15 Mythics. And in the past, we've had different numbers of Mythics for special things. But this is the first time it's really hit me with Arena in specific. And 
I was like kind of shocked at just how many packs I got to buy. I've already spent like $200 uh, buying packs of Zendikar Rising, and I'm still not especially close to having all the mythics I need. After opening all the packs and spending all the wild cards from those packs, what do you think of the, the cost of getting Zendikar Rising? And is there any concern with these like special extra mythic slots? Is that something that Wizards should... I don't know, maybe avoid? Do you think it's intentional? Like, are there more mythics because Wizards want you to have to spend more money? What do you think about the cost of Zendikar Rising at Arena? It is. It, it Like, yeah, like, you are now essentially crafting, like, what, like, 20, 20 mythics or something like that just so that you could have, like, lands. <laughs> um, like, yeah. It, 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 does, mm. it does feel kind of bad, right? I mean, it like, at the same time, like, this, it, it's just funny to me because... A while back, the issue was you had you didn't have enough rare wild cards, and I remember like laughing, just like I wish I actually had mythics to spend these wild cards on, right? Because like back then, like what is it like a one one scarab god or, or the Teferi hero of Dominaria, and now it's like I, I actually am very conscious, like oh hold on, I'm running low in mythics, maybe I shouldn't craft this. I like I like e- even content creators when you think about it, right? Like like it's like we are doing this all day long and we sink tons of money into this, like probably like three to four times more just so we can make our videos and stuff, right? And and, and like even even with us doing that, we still we still are afraid of committing wild cards because we I, I am genuinely afraid to commit to more mythic wild cards. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've been struggling yeah. with that too. Like not necessarily being able to play all the decks I want to play. I'm like, oh, like I, I don't know if I can afford it. <laughs> like maybe we'll have to find something else to stream today because I don't got the mythics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> P- paying wild cards for lands sucked. Okay, always sucks. When they were rare, it sucked because you were you know crimped on rare wild cards. Now they're mythics. Now you're going to be crimped on mythic wild cards. So it is a very I don't know. It's like you you have to spend it, but it feels so bad and you get like no enjoyment out of it, which I think is like a double whammy. But like Magic Arena feels kind of like Comcast, where at first it was like, sign up for internet, it's 20 bucks, right? And then like six months later, it's like $100. You're like, wow, your introductory rate is over, right? Like, remember when they reduced the... um, the mastery pass, uh, you know, there was a set and then the track was a lot shorter, but they're like, oh, you know, the number of cards is smaller in the set. So the track is smaller, right? And the, the release window is smaller. So we reduced the time. And then they had a big set that kept the same scheme. And, <sighs> yeah. you know, their, their explanation was a bit BS. Like they're just extracting more and more money. I, I see this. Uh, the, the, the one that feels it most is me because Seth's bill shows up and I'm like, come on, Seth, like earn some more wild cards. <laughs> like so many cards, right? Like when we were making Magic Online content, it was like relatively self-sustaining, right? Like we didn't have to like buy new cards that often. And when we did, it was like a small amount each set. Now it feels like we have just have to buy cards like left and right. And it, it sucks because you can't, switch decks right like if you're a casual player and you wanted to spend let's say you're going to spend 150 dollars every set release right that's like one deck and you can't change your deck so you need to be 100 percent sure that's the deck you want to play with forever uh and I, I think that just like puts the fear of spending everyone the fact that you can't even exchange your deck at like a worse rate let's say you have like you know GameStop trade-in or something where you get like half the value of what you spent, right? Like that would be at least better, right? When you're sick of Earl, you can switch to Gruel or Control or whatever. So 
for that reason, I think uh, Adventures is the way to go. You can just play your old deck, wait for the metagame to, sh to, to shake out, then you can invest in the deck you want because like you guys said, I gotta buy so many mythic lands now. Uh, if you're a new player, oh God forbid, you gotta get all the triomes too now. And you know, you just have to spend so many cards just to get a workable mana base. And if you switch from Teamer to Demir or something, like good luck, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it just yeah. never, it never feels good having to like spend your wild cards like on, on just like the basic re like resources you need to play the game. But yeah. Yeah. And I think. It's it's been a bit of like a, a double triple whammy. Like we had Zendikar Rising with more mythics than normal. We had like multiple we had Jumpstar and Amaket Remasters released within a month of uh of Zendikar Rising. So we had these two extra sets that were had some weird economy stuff. So like Jumpstart was actually really hard to get the cards you need. You had to like wild guard kinda everything unless you just drafted like crazy because you can buy packs. Uh and then the other thing that's been uh, kinda on top of that is just like uh, the reprints stacking up and driving me insane. Like having two different uh, play sets of two different woe striders and being like, oh, come on. Like these are like so worthless or even some of the commons and uncommons. It drives me crazy even with deck building. Like you'll have three different versions of essence scatter, like show up in your deck. Like, oh, <laughs> come on, wizard. So I don't know. I, I still wish they would consider some sort of dusting because it's just like getting more and more problematic as they have more and more reprint sets combined with it already being really expensive so if i'm feeling the pinch and you're feeling the pinch and we do this for a living like this is literally our jobs it's got to be tough for the average player who doesn't have the like justification of oh like you know this is what i do for a living or this is a tax write-off or whatever so oh i don't know i i wish yeah I wish the economy was a little bit more generous and took that into account a little bit more for a player's sake. Ru Rune Terra has the perfect, like, you know, economy, like, model so far. And, like, I I'm curious, like, I mean, is it too much if you could just buy wild cards? I guess that doesn't sell packs then, right? Like, I guess if you, if you, if you just buy wild cards. Yeah. They want to sell packs. Yeah. They, they want to sell packs. They, like, the, the, the duplicate problem where you have the same card in multiple sets and you need to recollect the whole thing, even though it's essentially worthless to you, is like by design, I think, right? Because if they remove that, their reprint sets are like worthless, right? They can never make a reprint set uh, and, and things like that. So I think it's all by design. I think, I think Magic is probably doing the best it's ever done, like economically, because of Arena. And I don't think Wizards is slowing down, right? Wizards is figuring out more ways to get you to spend more money on arena um while spending more money on secret layers and commander products as well and like i don't know like how much money can we spend on magic right like where do you draw the line uh so yeah i don't know it's like free to play is like not possible like i don't think you can free to play at all on arena it's just not it's just not really viable, right? And especially free to play with any degree of freedom, right? Like it's possibly like one specific deck you can play, and and that's it. But you gone are the days of like, oh, if I just grind events, I can I can do it. It's like actually really hard unless you literally have like an eighty percent win rate in limited. <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean you can still I think you can still free to play, but it's definitely very restricted. It's like try to get a budget deck, grind it for months to earn enough rewards to get a tier deck, and then grind that for months until you get enough rewards to get another deck. So you definitely can't... Uh, I guess it's just, like, 
really day and night difference between like the arena economy and the moto economy, especially now when you have loan programs and it's like so easy and cheap to switch decks on Magic Online constantly if you want to. And it's the exact opposite on Arena where oh, it's so painful to try to switch decks, even for players like me who spend hundreds of dollars literally each set to try to have the cards I need. It's still like I still run into issues trying to switch decks and play everything I want to. Yeah, it's not even the hundreds of dollars. It's the hundred of hours right like we're content creators we play all the time so you're getting all of the rewards and mastery pass and everything like imagine if you could only play two hours a week or three hours a week or something right like there's no way you can come anywhere close you'd be spending like triple quadruple the amount of money and especially if you're casual you may not make the optimal choices in spending wild cards, right? You may look at some, you know, unplayable nine drop. You're like, yes, let me get four of those mythics, right? And then just blow your mythic allocation on a card that you don't know sucks until you play with it. And then it turns out it sucks. And then now you have nothing to do, right? So I don't know, like we are kind of like the most optimized and we're spending a lot of money. So anyone else will spend even more money. So that's that's pretty rough. Yeah, yeah, like I, I, I don't know how, <laughs> like, I, I wonder if you, you could, like, you know the leagues, like, or the events that they have on Arena, would it be then too crazy to make it so that maybe you get, like, like how we get treasure chests on Moto, right? Like, but what if when you go, like, you get hit the five win mark or the seven win mark for any of the events, they reward you with a treasure chest, like how on the top right of Arena when you have, like, excess cards, you get, like, two uncommon wild cards, like, you know, two rare wild cards and a mythic wild card. What if just that also comes with it? Like, I know right now you get, like, maybe, like, a couple thousand gold or whatever and and some ICRs, but instead of an ICR, it could just be a chest full of wild cards. That would be that would be super helpful, for sure. Like, uh, more any way you can get more wild cards to players, I think, would, would definitely help. So I would totally be on board for something like that. Or, I mean, I keep coming back to, like, having more agency over your collection, being able to, like, dust your extra woe striders the extra playset to to get some gems that you could spend on cards that you do need or something but it doesn't seem like wizards is yeah uh, they're, they're not doing going the dusting direction, unfortunately I, I feel i would never dust yeah you because you, you need you need to get 4x of the cards for your duplicate protection to <laughs> kick in to actually get you somewhere useful right so if you keep dusting you're never gonna make it anywhere yeah yeah i guess i guess that's uh that's a concern too at least you could like if you didn't play historic, you could dust all your rotating cards and use that yeah. to put towards like new yeah. standard cards or something yeah, like that, that. That'd be good. I, I think that's why like the, the the idea of like a chest, like how they do in Moto, like get a rewarding wild card is probably the next way you could try to do something. But maybe that's a little too generous. Who knows? <laughs> I think just more free events where you can play with tier decks is reasonable, right? Like like if there was a free deck every week that rotated, where you could play. I don't know, unranked ladder only, but you're playing like full-blown four-color Omnath from the Mythic Invitational and basically like every other game, right? There's some free-to-play option, but if you want to take it in a rank, you gotta, you gotta pay for it. But you can play unranked with it, test it out, wait for the deck you want to come in rotation, test it out if you like it, then commit the wild cards. I think that would go a long way uh, because there's no way, like, I've seriously contemplated, like, I'll test this deck on Magic Online because it's free. <laughs> and then if it's good, <laughs> I'll go purchase the wild cards in Arena. You're like, this is the most ridiculous, like, hoop jumping, right? <laughs> like, why can't I test in Magic Arena, right? Like, even just, like, Solitaire or something against Sparky, right? Just to get a feel <laughs> of the deck. It, 
Like, but no, you got to commit all your wild cards, right? And then that's it. it it's so funny because intuitively it would be the opposite. I, I would think when they first announced Arena, I would assume that Arena with its like free to play modes and stuff would be the place that you could like test decks and then decide if you want to buy them in paper. But it's kind of funny that it, it's kind of like the opposite. Like Arena is the, the hardest place to just throw together a deck that you want to test because of how the wild card system works. So definitely strange, strange economy for sure. Anyway. We, uh, we're uh we getting near the end. Richard, I think we got time for some fish mail. Why don't you take it away? All right. If you have questions, send them to at MTGoldfish with the hashtag MGFishMail, and we'll get to your questions on air. Oh, right on right on topic. Alden B4610. Hey, guys. How long do you feel it takes for a free-to-play arena player to grind out a deck's worth of wild cards? I need about 30 more for my historic build. I have a modern deck and don't want to pay into digital as well as paper. Ugh. Uh, so are we talking months or years, do you think? <laughs> I mean, maybe with this standard, it might be at least like six months worth of grinding. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's going to take a while, unfortunately, especially since your rewards are not generally wild cards. They're packs that then you hope to fill the wild card wheel or open wild cards. So it's going to it's gonna take a while to get 30 wild cards, unfortunately. All right. Next question. Iosair. Do you think the internet meta reading gets worse nowadays? Back then, if a broken card is previewed, internet would blow up in a few minutes like Sahili Cat, but now Scoot Swarm doesn't get caught until release. <laughs> so, <laughs> I could go on a whole rant about Scoot Swarm, honestly. I don't think Scoot Swarm's a broken card. Like, I think Scoot Swarm is a decent card, and it's a fun card, but I've seen there was a couple of people, like, posting YouTube videos, like, most broken thing ever, Scoot Swarm getting bad, we gotta ban Scoot Swarm. <laughs> like, really? Like, Scoot Swarm, of all things? Uh, so... So I don't think it's particularly broken. I think, is it better than people gave it credit for during spoiler season? Definitely. I think it was underrated, but I I think people are going a little bit over the top with how good it is. I still think it's, like, a really fun build-around, kind of like Budget Magic Against Odds card, and I still would be surprised if it's, like, legitimately one of the best cards in Standard once it's all said and done. Yeah. Uh, Alex32359, Patrick Chapin brings up a good point that compared to OG Zendikar, this set nearly has 4x as many cards that say draw a card. How do you guys feel about the shift in design? Why is this grindy attrition decks... Is this why grindy attrition decks just aren't as viable these days? Ooh. I mean, like... From the two people that like drawing cards, what do you guys... Uh... (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I I think that before you could, like, you definitely had the ability to, like, leverage card advantage and whatnot. But now that everything, like, you know, draws a card just upon cast or something like that, uh, it is is a little bit harder. But I will say that if you kind of, like, example... really got to figure out what the problematic cards are right and then and then just hope that like example i i'm if i'm playing a control deck where i i'm based on trying to leverage card advantage on my opponent um i am hoping that i just counter the right threats and then just like it's it's kind of tough though like it, it is it is a tough world out there if you're trying to play that one for one game plan yeah i i would still like to see them pull back a little bit on the immediate value threats like does omnath like it has so much tags on it does it really need to enter the battle uh draw a card when it enters the battlefield or should it be a card where like if you untap with it it's gonna do crazy things but you have to untap with it to get that value so i do feel like 
Wizards has probably shifted a little bit too far in the immediate value direction of uh, of things just drawing a card when they come into play. I don't think we're going to shift back away from that. I think this is the direction that Wizards wants to be going, and I think they want decks to be consistent, players to have full plans, because especially for new players on Arena or whatever, you want to feel like you're playing Magic, and you you don't necessarily connect like, oh, I'm getting crushed by Fires of Invention, or oh, Wilderness Reclamation, I'm not, I have like 2% chance to win this game, but you feel like you're like playing things, so I feel like this is intentionally the way that design is going uh, in the last couple of years. Whether or not it's a good thing, ugh, I wish they'd pull back on it a little bit, but what do I know? Maybe, maybe it is a good thing for all those like new arena players and so forth, and it's keeping them in the game. Yeah, this is card draw creep or value creep. Uh, we started this with Planeswalkers, and we're at the point now where card draw, I don't think, is an important like an important magic concept anymore. Like when we first started, started to learn, you know, real magic back in our boomer days, we we're like card advantage. The most important thing, are you getting two for one, right? Is it a one for one? Now it's tempo, right? Cause every card is a two for one now. Now it's like, can you efficiently spend your mana and leverage all your cards before you die? And I feel this type of magic is too snowbally. Like if you think, let's go way back to like Sarah Angel, okay? You are turn 10, you both are out of gas. One person top decks a Sarah Angel, you're both at 20 life. You have five turns before you're dead, right? That Sarah Angel just does four damage every turn. So if your opponent top decks a land, it's okay. Cause next turn they can top deck a Doomblade and catch up or they can go land, 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 Doomblade. And if you go Sarah Angel, land, land, it's like neutral. Contrast that to today, where instead of Sarah Angel, it's Uro, right? <laughs> Uro draws another card. That card is Nissa. okay? Nissa makes a 3-3 Vigilance. If your opponent top-decked a land instead of a Planar Cleansing, they're dead, <laughs> right? Like, it just snowballs out of control. One card becomes two, two becomes four. Your opponent is on a land, which is zero. It's over, Yeah. right? There's no catch-up. There's no time to, you know, if you were the one that did Uro land and your opponent was land Uro, like, the land Earl guy is losing, right? He's, like, too far behind. He spent an entire turn not using his mana. So I think games just snowball out of control so fast. And this, you know, card advantage concept doesn't really hold anymore. So I would like to go back to the days where you can just top deck and, like, you know, not... It's not the first person that draws a card, right? It's the, the person whose deck has more stuff will win. <laughs> Remember that people used to just concede to Sphinx's revelation. <laughs> Nowadays, I don't even think I would, right? Like, it's like, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, Tyrannic Nero, good news. The crew is allowed to go back in time and remove one of the effects from Earl's ETB ability. What do you remove? Card draw, ramp, or life gain? Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely card draw, I think, would... I, I think Uro is just blatantly too powerful, so I would choose the option that would power it down the most, and I think that's draw a card. Um, yeah, I, I would have to go with either draw a card or, or like, cause like, cause like the draw a card is, is pretty, pretty nasty. Uh, or, or we could just go with just deleting Uro. I mean, entirely. But, but yeah, <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> I think card draw or life gain. I think the life gain is actually really important in that aggro decks can't outrace you. Cause theoretically, you could out temple the Uro if all they're doing is just ramping and drawing cards. But this life gain is causing issues. But I think card draw is like the easiest and probably most powerful effect to remove. But you could just like not have escape on it. <laughs> but it's still, yeah, but it like, still sacrificed like, itself. I would like that. No, 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 no. <laughs> like, like you can have like one escape of it, right? Yeah. Like, 
it has like if it's escaped already it gets removed or something right something like that instead of just going coming back infinitely <laughs> I, I no I, I still like the idea of it just sacrificing itself and it can't escape like <laughs> I, I hate that card <laughs> that would be the weirdest creature <laughs> <laughs> I mean you can get some value right it makes terror of the peaks hilariously awesome here six damage yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess that would definitely make it a lot fairer. How much How much do you think Uro would have... Let's say it's exactly the same, but it's an actual creature that you just cast in and it sticks on the battlefield. Everything else is exactly the same. It's for, a three mana. For three six, mana? Six, what? No, no, no. What mana cost <laughs> would would that card cost like where would that where would that be fairly costed like six mana like oh. the original Titans? Would that be too good? Not good enough? No, I, I not, not good, good enough. enough. I think it had to be five. Five. So five yeah. mana, six, six five with all four. the abilities. Yeah, yeah. Because the ramp is kind of useless now. <laughs> You're already at that mana, so it's really just draw a card, gain three life. Yeah, that's that's true. It's basically greater Gargaroth, slightly better, because you get one trigger on ETV as well. Um, last question. Uh, Simeon Smith, with Commander now being the biggest paper format, is rotation still the time to pick up cards for decks? Do we see a drop in value of staple rares and mythics rotating out of standard? Or is this something, uh, just something content creators talk about? The economy's weird these days. Things are definitely changing, I would say. The good news is, thanks to all of the new versions of cards that we get with collector's boosters and all the promos, if you just want to pick up the normal version of cards that are playable outside of Commander, uh, they're usually cheaper. They're cheaper right off the bat than they have been in the past. Like, you get really good deals on those cards. So I feel like the value of waiting to rotation has gone down quite a bit just because price is already down so much for most of those cards. Commander cards are definitely the big winners. We see Commander cards immediately being way more expensive than they would used to be. A card, a great example right now is Lithoform Engine. Lithoform Engine oh. is an against-odds card for standard. Like, it, it could do cool, funny things, but it's not going to be a tier card in any 60-card format. It's probably the best card for the set from Commander, and it started off as the most expensive card in the set. It's currently $27. Omneth is... uh shot up in price to overtake it in the past lithoform engine would be like a five dollar card and it would slowly increase in price so we've seen a massive shift where it's the commander cards that are worth money and the standard cards just really aren't worth money so if you're concerned about building a collection for like modern or to play in standard and then in modern or pioneer I think you can just pick up the cards whenever you you want to, like outside of the month when the set releases and the supply is not there, because the prices uh, are in general just really, really low because of how the economy shifted. All right. Thank you to everyone who sent in questions for Fishmail. If you have questions, you can send them to at MGGoldfish with the hashtag MGGFishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I believe that that brings us to the end of episode 295 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard Krem, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Card Conduit for supporting the show. So, we will be back next week to talk about whatever goes down in the world of magic. Until then, have a wonderful week, and this is a crew signing out. Bye!